Uh, before we get started, I do want to make uh, one more announcement to you. Uh, not only is November 10th uh, our shoebox day, but also our family meeting. And if you have not circled it on your calendar, we really would encourage you to do that because uh, just once a year we gather as a family and we just talk shop, we talk business, and we really want you all to be there. And so if you're considering Redstone uh, to be your home, if this is your home, uh, if you have taken that step and are a member, it really is important to be here. We've got some big things to talk about, uh, primarily what is happening in Elizabethton, and we're really excited about sharing more details and how that's going to happen and timelines and those types of things. So just know that we'll spend a lot of time talking about Elizabethton. And then also the second thing that's happening is that um, well, we know that Ben and Annika, uh, they uh, left for Knoxville in the, in the summer. And so we're going to be addressing kind of just what's happening with our next gen and our family ministries. And so we know that both Elizabethton and families, that's a big deal for all of us. And we're going to try to roll out as much detail as possible. Okay, so November 10th, make sure that you're there. Uh, we're going to try to fill in some blanks uh, for you and provide you guys a space to ask whatever questions that you have because we really want to be open and honest and authentic about all that we know. Make sense? So next Sunday, 5.30 here in, in, at Providence Academy. All right, Ecclesiastes. We're going to do an entire chapter today. That's why it is not printed in your worship guide. So if you've got your Bible or if you've got our little books that we've been going through, our Ecclesiastes books, I would encourage you to turn to chapter 8. Now, chapter 8 this, uh, this morning, uh, we are going to go through an entire chapter of, of the Bible. Uh, here's what we know. So far, wisdom, uh, wisdom has been a pursuit of the wisest man on earth. This is King Solomon who's writing Ecclesiastes. And he is pursuing wisdom, right? And he is trying to just deliver on the goods. This are the th these are the things that I've seen, and I want you to know the things that I've seen. So wisdom, wisdom, wisdom has been the, the banter over and over and over. We know that wisdom are a few things. There are, are not a few things. One is that we know that wisdom won't make you completely happy. So you can have a ton of it, but it still won't get you to complete satisfaction. So we know that. Number two, we know that wisdom is not being a know-it-all, where just because you have wisdom means that you know everything about all things and have access to all kinds of facts. Um, and so that's, that's what we know, the way, how it's incomplete. However, we know that it's beneficial. And this is why we know it's beneficial, because of chapter 8, verse 1. This is, what was, uh, this is what King Solomon says. Who is like the wise? Question mark. It says, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. How cool is that? All right? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. You see what happens? You see that something happens with wisdom that will actually change your physical appearance. Like things will happen to your face, just to your, just your aura, when wisdom becomes a part of your heart. All right? so, and it looks pretty warm here. Your face shines. And this is a warm uh, idea. It's not cold. It's not harsh. It's warm. It's shiny. It glows. It's kind of like a fire on an autumn day. This is how good wisdom is. If you know the, the um, a bit, whoop, if you know uh, this, 
this uh, TV show. This is a show called Lie to Me. And these are a bunch of scientists that have uh, gone to the human face and will be able to detect what they call micro-expressions. And so there's a difference between happiness or gladness or contentment and sadness or even disdain. And so scientifically, they've gone in and they've said these are the three attributes of happiness. And this is the attributes of sadness. And so what Solomon is saying is, when you have wisdom, you go from Mr. Grumpy Pants to this guy, right? And he says, who doesn't want this? This is what wisdom will do to you. It'll make your face shine or glow or there will be a warmth or contentment or joy when wisdom comes. And then, like a little bit of a psychopath, flip to... 17, verse 17. He says this. In the same way, he says, this stuff is so good, and you want it, and you need it. Wisdom, you need to have it in your, in your life. However, then I saw the work of God that man cannot find out, the work that he has done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. So a threefold understanding of Sir Wisdom. He may be able to make you glad. He may be able to make you content. But he cannot, wisdom cannot, give you access to all things. So this threefold mantra of you cannot find out, you will not find out, you cannot find out. Wisdom's something, but it's not everything. You get that? Wisdom's something, and it's even a good thing. However, in your pursuit, if you think that it's going to give you everything, just know at the end of the same passage that tells you that wisdom will make your face shine and change the hardness of your face, it still has its limitations. It has its limitations. There's this term called rose-colored glasses. Do you know this term? And so this idea is that if you have on rose-colored glasses, that means that your outlook on life is rosy. That means that you look at life in a very positive manner. That everything, has your half uh, your half glass full, not half glass empty. And so when you have rose-colored glasses, you tend to see things positively and in the way that you really want to see them. It's actually um, a, a, a stern rebuke when someone tells you to take off your rose-colored glasses. When you take off your rose-colored glasses, you're actually, you become a realist. You're able to see things the way they really should be. And this is what King Solomon is doing to us this morning. That he's asking us to take off our rose-colored glasses and tell us what reality looks like. And this is how it should feel to you to understand that even though wisdom is a great pursuit, it can't be everything for everyone, for, for every situation. That it's going to come up short, that there's limitations, and he'll even say there's actually a frustration that happens in you. Take, for instance, on the way uh, uh, back from my honeymoon, the rose-colored glasses of my marriage was taken off. You see, Nicole and I had dated a blissful two years, and they were the most amazing days on planet Earth. 
a blonde loved me and I loved her. And we decided that we would come together and that we would be married. And on our way back from our honeymoon, this is we've enjoyed a couple of wonderful days in the mountains and we're just great stuff. And on our way back, we stop at a gas station about an hour from my grandmother's house. Time out. Uh, men, <clears throat> if you've yet to go on your honeymoon and the words one hour from your grandmother's house ever comes out of your mouth or heart or mind, stop it right there. You should not be going to your grandmother's house on your honeymoon. Okay, so we were about an hour from our grandmother's house, uh, my grandmother's house, and we stopped by a gas station to fill up. And Nicole goes, hey, honey, um, would you get me water? And I was like, okay. So I go in, and I, I bet this is before debit cards. I have to pay, you know, uh, with cash or whatever we were, that prehistoric days. Um, so anyway, I was in the gas station. I was paying for it, and I come back without a water. And Nicole goes, uh, I thought I asked for a water. Now, time out. Um, what it was in my mind was uh, water costs money, and we're just an hour from getting free water. And so why in the world would I spend money on something that will be free in just a few minutes? Logical, right? Yeah? I'm not getting any buyers in on this. This has been a fight for 19 years. So anyway, I come back and she says, so I thought I asked for a water. And I, my sinful heart and soul said this, they didn't have any. So not only am I cheap, now I'm a liar. So the rose-colored glasses comes off really quickly in marriage, but not just marriage. The rose-colored glasses will come off in life, and this is just a funny example that we have like truly misinterpreted all of life, that truly life, we need a little dose of reality. So today, the one thing that Solomon will say the, the rose-colored glasses that you and I have on and we're blissfully unaware of is that we think that I am or we are in control. You believe it and I believe it. That whatever you want to do with enough time or skill or money, that you have the grit and ability to get what you want. And Solomon's saying, as, as, as good as wisdom is, it's still not going to give you the control that you want. He gives us two kind of muscles, right? Two strongholds, two moments of power that will crush us, that will bring us to our knees to make us, force us to believe that we are not in control. He says, number one, when you realize that you are a person who lives under authority, you will soon understand. You may have something, but complete control is not it. And so when you live under authority of some kind, you're gonna, you're, the rose-colored glasses will come off because you're not in control if somebody else has the authority over you. And yet we still fight for, man, I'm in control. And the second thing is that this idea that when we rub shoulders or when we are in a society of wicked people, that actually these wicked people, when we live with them, they actually control us in some degree. And he says, this is King Solomon, wisest man to walk earth minus Jesus. He says, as wise as I am, there's nothing that I can do to reverse the course of a king's decision. A king or a queen or a tyrant, right? My wisdom is not going to touch this stuff. And as wise as I am, the wicked are going to be wicked. 
And there's nothing that I can really, really do. So living under authority, let's do this. Let's read uh, chapter 8, 2 through 9. I've lost my glasses this week. Hang in there. Verse 2 says this. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. All right? And so Solomon is saying is that there's a, there, God has given an oath to some types of authority. We should understand that. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. And so if he's doing whatever he pleases, then that means that you have to be reactionary to what he does. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Question mark. The answer is rhetorically, you can't tell a king or ask him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lie heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor all wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed, and King Solomon is an observer of life. This, that all this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. And that's our theme for, for um, Ecclesiastes. When man, had power, uh, when man had power over man to his hurt. And so he's going on over and over and over. And he's trying to give us examples of ways that you and I live under authority. And so there's a dreadful fact about humanity. That many, many, many of us, okay, let's just say all of us, we live under authority. And so whether it would be your boss at work or underneath like a president of the United States or under a tyrant in some distant land, we all live under authority in some way. Would you agree to that? And the problem with that is that all of these people who are now over us and ruling us or over us, they're all sinful people. And so we have sinful people running our lives. And more often than not, or sometimes, these sinful people run us or govern us or have authority over us to our detriment, not to our blessing. And what King Solomon is telling us is if you live underneath a tyrant, there's very little that you can do to change that course. And so sinful humanity, whether they are running corporate offices on Wall Street or on churches or church boards, organizations and nations are run by sinful people. And those sinful people oftentimes make things worse, not better. And just a, just a glance at the local news and you're going to use, hear the word corruption because there are things going on out there that we can't even touch or handle. There are words like cover-ups or the, or the phrase missile launches. The king or whoever is running these places, they're accountable to no one. And so who are we, even as wise as we are, we're simply underneath their authority. So the first thing that we see is we just have to understand the king is a king. 
He is who he is. So this is verse 2 through 4. Uh, wisdom tells us that we have to submit to the king because the king is actually there by the oath of God. And who are we to say, what are you doing? And the, thing, the point is, we can't. And so we are underneath authority, and the king is the king, and we are not. We want to be the king, but we're not. If we were the king, then we would be, but we're not the king, and so we're under him. And that makes us mad. Because oftentimes the king, who is the king, is a sinful man. And oftentimes that king, who is the king, is often a tyrant, who is actually trying to do harm to his people. And so what do we do when we hear passages like this that says that we are just to submit to them? Or as Paul would say, or Peter would say, to pray for those who are over you. Or what, what about Jesus who says to pay to Caesar what is Caesar's and pay to God what is God's? It seems to us throughout the scriptures that we, don't, we have lost control and these people have dominion over us. And there's very little that we can do about that. And so how should we live our lives? We live our lives in the same way that, that Peter and James and Paul and Jesus live their lives. That even though we disagree with the people that are over us, we may vehemently disagree with them. We still have to submit to them because we live under their kingdom. It is what it is. So not only to keep the king's command because of God's oath to him, but be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. These are all warnings. Don't you know that he has the power to kill you? For he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is, and there's that word, it is supreme. Who are you to say? What are you doing? And then, and then it goes on in, in verse 5. It says that, yes, the king is the king. But then we see that we don't just lay down. There's a time and there is a way in which we are to do things. Verse 5 says this. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Do you see that? There's a proper time and a just way. Also to be interpreted is that kings can be really bad. And they can do lots of evil. And you need to use your wisdom to know when to say something or the time in which you are to do them. What Solomon is telling us is that, yes, we can disagree with that authority. We can actually rise up against them. Right? But we need to make sure that there's a proper time and a proper way, meaning we cannot be sinful in our approaches. Yes, there's a way to do it, but there's also a way to get yourself literally, in some societies, killed. In our societies, you know, we can, the way that we sin is potentially go to social media and we can bash the people that we disagree with. Or you can go to the water cooler or to the break room and you can thrash your boss at work. There are ways in which you can rise up and there's a time and a way. But sinning is definitely never the way in which you get things done. Is Solomon telling us to lay down and do whatever? No. There are times and there are places in which we are able to go against the things that are of our conscience. And we are able to step through that. So we are not called to close our eyes toward injustice. It's simply to know that there's a proper time and a proper way to do that. And these are wise moments on how we are to do those things. Not only is the king the king, and we have to under, live under that authority, 
Not only is there is a proper time and way, so we can't go rogue. We have to live underneath that there's actually proper times and a right way to do that. So that's a form of authority. But then you just can't predict the future. Look at verse 7. You just can't do it. There's no way that you and I can predict or, or, or bet on what is going to happen next. We just don't know. Will Elizabethan and the church, the fledgling church there, will it succeed and grow or die? We don't know. Will the church that's left here in Johnson City, will it thrive and grow? Or We just don't know. We don't even know the weather. Ask the weatherman. He's been wrong every day of his life, right? But still gets paid for it. Don't know how that works, but I mean, that's, that's, that's fine. But that's a picture of humanity. We just can't predict the future. I don't know if all my kids will come to know Jesus. I just don't know. I pray in that way, but I can't predict the future. I don't know if I'm going to walk Kennedy down the aisle. I don't know if I'll hold my grandchildren These are things I don't know because I just don't know the future. And neither do you. Will the floods come? And when the floods come, will they overflow the riverbanks? And when the riverbanks flood, will it take you out? Or the fires in California. Do you know where it started or do you know where it ended or will end? We simply do not know. We can't know the future. And lastly, is there's just no power over death. And in all of these cases, understanding tyrants and understanding proper timing and and understanding the future and this idea, the sober reality that there is going to be death to every one of us. And we have no power over it. Wisdom's something, but it's not this idea that we have even the power over death. We may, we may want to live to a ripe old age of 100. But that's not in our cards, is it? Because the hour that you send, sit in here and stay in here, we must come to the realiz- realization is that we are one hour farther from our birth and one hour closer to our death for some of us. And so that should sober us and remind us that I just don't have the control that I think that we have. King Solomon is asking you to take off the rose-colored glasses and to be a realist in this. That you have no control over kings, the future, or death. We simply do not have those things. The second thing that he says, the second strong arm that we just can't budge is this thing called um, called the wicked. Let's read 10 through 12a. This thing called the wicked. And then I saw the wicked buried. He's long gone. He's done. Finally, his death has come. I saw the death buried. However, they, who are the, the wicked, they used to go in and out of the holy place. Wait a minute, I thought they were wicked. How are they able to come and go freely as they pleased? And yet, well, this is what I also saw, is that they went in and out of the holy place. And then, look at this, they were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence, right, this is a judgment, the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The things that were supposed to happen in their life came and went, and it did not happen with such such speed. 
The heart of the, ch- of, of the children of man is, folly, is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life. This is another strong moment of power. That these wicked men and these wicked women and these wicked, these wicked societies, that they are strong. And there's very little that we can do to budge them off of their wickedness. And so what Solomon is giving us a reality is that we're not in control of tyrants. We're definitely not in control of the wicked. And so the thing that's so striking here is that we see that the wicked are honored not put in shame, but honored and lifted up. Not put in their place, but lifted up over and over and over. This is what they call, or uh, theologians said that this is Solomon's most keen observation. He says, look at them. Look at them come and go in the temple. Look at them with their chins held high. Look at them with the smiles on their faces. Don't you know? These are the most wicked of us. And what can we do? We can do nothing. Look at their burials of honor. Look at their monuments. Look at the things that they have attributed to them. These are places that should be set aside in our city and set aside in our society for the righteous. And yet... The wicked gobble them up over and over and over. All you need to do is do a quick research of North Korea and the regime that happens there. There's murals the size of, 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 of um, high-rise buildings. There's monuments. Huge. There's, there's wickedness everywhere. And yet these men and these dictators are elevated and they're praised. They're celebrated over and over and over. So these men who are able to have their face painted everywhere in monuments actually promote other people who do more wicked as they come alongside their most valued citizens and they persecute Christians. And so you need to understand that the wicked oftentimes are honored, and this is unfair. And what Solomon is saying is there's very little that we can do about that. And their lives are committed to sin over and over and over, and they simply get by with it because they have lawyers or they have money in which they are able to escape on a technicality or buy off a judge. And it happens over and over. And so how is, how is this um, pronounced? It says this. Is that though a sinner does evil a hundred times over, he actually prolongs his life. It isn't cut short. It's prolonged. Even though he's done a hundred evils. It's not the righteous who are able to live a long and fruitful life. It's actually the wicked who should be punished for the things that they do. But they're prolonged over and over and over. Human, human wisdom cannot understand these things. Human wisdom cannot comprehend the world in which the wicked live a long and prosperous life. And while the righteous life are sniffed out for doing what? For living the life that God has asked them to leave. How are we going to answer these questions? Solomon says, sometimes there aren't 
good answers to our questions. Why are pastors in North Korea, uh, North Korea being killed today while their executioners are promoted? We simply don't know. In the same way, we don't know why the little boys and the little girls who cheat on the exam get the A, while the little boys and the little girls who cram all night get the C+. In the same way that we don't understand why the sales rep who lies and cheats and backstabs gets the promotion, while the one who keeps the letter of the law continues to be demoted rather than promoted. We simply don't understand why it is the way it is. We try to explain it, but we just can't. Today is an uh, important day. This is called a global prayer for our persecuted brothers and sisters. And this is a time where God's global church pauses. And we actually set our eyes not on, not on the wicked kingdoms of the earth, but that there is another kingdom that will never pass away. You see right now, um, there is a pastor. His name is Pastor Han. And Pastor Han would walk over the Chinese border into North Korea over and over and over. And as he walked through the woods and through the dark paths, he would pray, Lord Jesus, will you lead, to, lead me to someone? Whether it be a man or a woman or a child, allow my, my, my um, path to cross someone else's. And over and over, this Chinese pastor would cross over north, uh, into North Korea. And he would. The Lord would reveal a man or a woman or a child or a family in which he would learn their name and he would simply tell them, God is real and God wants a relationship with you. There's one story of him coming across a, a small farmer who was picking mushrooms in a field. He simply walks up to them and walks up to him and he says, how are you going to sell those mushrooms? And to which he says, I don't know. I don't know how to speak uh, Chinese. The Chinese pastor then looks to the North Korean and says, if you trust me with your mushrooms, I can take them to Chinese, the Chinese market, and I can make a profit for you. This relationship started in the woods over mushrooms. And two years later, this man and his family come to know Jesus because this man had the audacity to cross into another country to share the name of Jesus. December of 2016, there was a television show in North Korea. There was a celebration that happened in North Korea that there had been uh, an astal this, 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 this army officer was able to execute a terrorist Christian in North Korea. On December 26th, it was Pastor Han who gave his life for the sake of the gospel. We don't know why the bad people win. We don't know why the righteous are snuffed out. And yet we do know that there is one who holds our days. And he is the one who will make our, our, our faces glad. And so I would encourage you simply to write down this little phrase here. That will you pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters? And before your head hits the pillow tonight, would you maybe even look on the internet? Maybe you look or just rehearse this little story that happens over and over and over. It's 
been a couple of years since uh, Pastor Han's death, and they've counted over a thousand people who are discipled, North Koreans who are discipled by him. Pastor Han is long gone, but the gospel continues to bring life to a dark society. And yet it's a dark society nonetheless. And so the, the wicked are honored. And we wonder, why, why, Lord? Why is it like this? Why do they, does it seem like they get a prolonged life? And though the sinner does evil a hundred times, this is verse 12, a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know, yes, I know, I'm confident of this, that it will be well with those who fear God. He may have a prolonged life, she may have a prolonged life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, who trust God, who believe in God, who hold on to God, who clasp onto God. It will be well with those who fear God because they, they fear before him. Verse 13, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. It looks like they're getting away scot-free. And yet we know from verse 13 that it will not ultimately go well with them. Men and women, these two verses tell us that, that we have to fear God. The people who are wicked ultimately do not fear God. They simply trust themselves. Over and over it says, how will it go well with you ultimately? Not in this time, but the time next. How will it go well? How will it be good for you? It will go good with you when you trust God, when you believe in God, or this phrase here, when you fear God, which means only to hold on to him and him alone. He believes that the final justice will be God's justice, not our justice or the justice of this earth, but it belongs to him. And God will ultimately judge those who are wicked. You see, sin is what separates us from God. And God will bring us to judgment. It may look like they're getting away with it, but God's ever-present eye will not abandon us or them. He's all-knowing and all-seeing. And we believe, the scriptures tell us, that at the end of our days there will be a judge. And so there's a criminal, and there's a judge, and there's a courtroom. And at the end of our times, the criminal, that's us. And the judge, that's God. And the courtroom, that's eternity. And the way that we escape God's judgment is this idea to cling to God alone, to fear him, to have reverence and awe for him, to believe in him and him alone. It will not go well with the wicked. And the wicked are not the people that aren't just the tyrants of this world. It's just those people who are far from Jesus. And so this morning, if you're far from him, I want you to contemplate and think about the day in which is quickly coming for all of us. And I want you to cling and consider Jesus and Jesus alone. If you're searching, do not envy the ways of this world envy the fact that there will be an ultimate judgment that will pass you by because of what Jesus has done for us. Because our judgment day is different 
the people who fear God and hold on to him, our judgment day is different because the worst people on the planet get the best. The people who have sinned because of our belief in Jesus, the people who have sinned and fallen short of God's standards will actually be elevated and called pure and righteous for us. That's the greatest exchange that has ever happened. And that's what Pastor Han says, and that's what I will say over and over and over for you to consider Jesus. To cling to him, not to cling to religion, not to your own morality, not even to cling to your wickedness, but to cling to Jesus and his righteousness for us. We can either be clothed with wickedness or clothed with righteousness. And what Jesus has done is given us an opportunity to be clothed with his righteousness. And so with Jesus' dying on the cross, it tells us that darkness fell. And the earth quaked. And the symbolism there is that the judgment, the sentence of sinful humanity fell on Jesus that day. So much so that the Father turned his face away for the first time in all eternity. Because the wrath of God fell on his son. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much he loves you. That he would come and absorb the wickedness of this world for you and me. Very few of us will be tyrants in North Korea. And yet our wickedness is just as wicked. Because our wickedness is filled with selfishness like every other human being. Our wickedness is filled with pride just like everyone. And that's enough to separate us from God. Would you consider Jesus this morning. Jesus says it this way, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. These are strong words of Jesus and the reason they're so strong is because he knows that death is coming for all of us and he wants you to consider your deathbed today. And says, I want you to fear the one that can destroy your soul in hell. Meaning, being separated from God because of your sin. Being separated from God for all eternity is far worse. Consider Jesus this morning. So are you living for yourself or are you living for God? This passage would encourage you to live for God and God alone. Fully and completely. So a man's wisdom, man or woman's wisdom, makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. This is what happens in the gospel. Is that when you believe in Jesus, wisdom upon wisdom has given to you. And it'll make your face shine. And literally the hardness of your heart... (laughs) The sin, the, cal- you know, the calluses of your heart will be changed forever. And this is what Jesus can offer to us, is truly to make our face shine. Question for you. As it stands right now, God in heaven is looking down on you. And he's looking at your life, your days, your weeks, your months, your years, the culmination of who you are. 
And the way that God is looking at you right now, what would his face look like? What is his disposition of his face toward you right now? Is it a face of disappointment over you and your life? Is it a face of frustration because it's keep telling you? Or is it a face of joy and delight? Well, what Solomon is telling us about the wisdom of God is that God's face, no matter what you've done, if you trust in him, if you fully believe in Jesus and you're clothed with righteousness, God's face is nothing but joy, pure joy over you. Zephaniah would even say that God is singing over you and blessing you. This is a reward beyond all rewards to have the creator of the universe smile and say, that's my kid. That boy right there, that girl right there, that's my kid. He's brought a wisdom to you this morning. A wisdom, not of this world, but a wisdom that comes from the heavenlies that will change your face and your heart from darkness to lightness, to light. And this is what he promises in Jesus. Let's pray. And so, Father, as we contemplate Jesus this morning, help us to realize that we can do nothing about the wickedness of this world but we can do something about the wickedness of our own heart. Jesus Christ, have mercy on our souls this morning because we are a sinner. If you're in here and you've never considered Jesus, and this morning you want to consider Jesus, I'd encourage you right now just to slip out of your seat and head to the back. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's going to be looking around at you. We're all praying for us right now is that if you're far from Jesus and you want to be clothed in righteousness and you want your wickedness to be replaced with purity and you want to trust in Jesus this morning, we've got a prayer team in the back that would love to just spend some time and talk to you about the beauties of the gospel. Jesus, these are heavy teachings and these are heavy times. Help us now, Lord, to cling to you and you only. We know it will go well with us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. As we take this bread and as we drink this cup, help us to realize that you embody wrath and brokenness and wickedness and pain so that we do not have to experience those things. In, in eternity. We ask this, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so every week, we gather around the table of remembrance, remembering what Jesus did, that though he was whole and complete, he gave of his body for us. And even though he was truly the lifeblood of all of Israel, he poured out his blood for us. And so in this pouring of blood and of this giving of his body, He promises that we would be made whole and complete in joy. This morning, we're going to come to the table of remembrance. If you follow Jesus this morning, know that this is where your identity is. Nothing more, nothing less. Your wickedness has wisdom, and it's in the person and work of Jesus. 
So there's men around the room that want to serve you that communion. We would encourage you to consider Jesus this morning. And if there's just something in your heart in which you need to just express um, your need for your Savior, just know that in this moment would be a good time to to leave now. But go ahead and stand up. Uh, The stations are now open, and uh, you you can be served um, anytime you feel free.